Well, if you would, turn in your Bibles to the book of Galatians, Galatians chapter 4. And while you're turning there, I'd like to read you a short children's story by P.D. Eastman titled, Are You My Mother? He writes, A mother bird sat on her egg. The egg jumped. I must get something for my baby bird to eat, she said. So she went away. Inside the nest, the egg jumped. It jumped and it jumped until out came a baby bird. Where's my mother? He said. He did not see her anywhere. I will go and look for her, he said. Out of the nest he went. Down, 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 plop. The baby bird could not fly, but he could walk. Now I will go and find my mother, he said. Are you my mother? The baby bird asked a kitten. The kitten just looked and looked. It didn't say a thing. Are you my mother? The baby bird asked a hen. No, said the hen. Are you my mother? The baby bird asked a dog. I'm not your mother. I'm a dog, said the dog. (laughs) Are you my mother? The baby bird asked a cow. How could I be your mother, said the cow. I'm a cow. The baby bird stopped to think. The kitten and the hen were not his mother. The dog and the cow were not his mother. I have a mother, said the baby bird. I know I do. I will find her. I will. I will. Just then, the baby bird saw a big thing. You are my mother, he said. The big thing said, snort. Oh, no, said the baby bird. You're not my mother. You're a scary snort. The snort lifted the baby bird up, up, up. Then something happened. The snort put the baby bird right back in the tree. The baby bird was home. Just then, the mother bird came back. I know who you are, said the baby bird. You are not a kitten or a hen or a dog. You are not a cow or a snort. You are a bird, and you are my mother. We've been talking about the spiritual new birth, what it means to be born again for the last couple weeks. And I'd like to take a quick break this week for Mother's Day and consider from where we are born. If the Holy Spirit is that imperishable seed that we've been talking about that conceives us and God is our Heavenly Father, then who is our Heavenly Mother? Do we have a Heavenly Mother? Well, I believe, like this baby bird, many of us are living lives looking in the wrong places for our mothers. We're in an identity crisis and don't know who we are. Therefore, we can't match ourselves to our mothers. So who is, who is our mother? We're going to answer that question this morning in our text from Galatians chapter 4. If you would turn in with me in your Bibles to Galatians chapter 4, verse 21 through 31. These are the words of God. Let's give attention to them this morning, church. Paul writes to the church in Galatia. Tell me, you who desire to be under the law, do you not listen to the law? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by a slave woman and one by a free woman. But the son of the slave woman was born according to the flesh, while the son of the free woman was born through promise. Now this may be interpreted allegorically. These two women are two covenants. One is from Mount Sinai, bearing children for slavery. She is Hagar. Now, Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia. She corresponds to the present Jerusalem, for she is in slavery with her children. But the Jerusalem above is free, and she is our mother. For it is written, Rejoice, O barren one who does not bear. Break forth and cry aloud, you who are not in labor. For the children of the desolate one will be more than those of the one who has a husband. 
Now you, brothers, like Isaac, are children of promise. But just as at that time he who was born according to the flesh persecuted him who was born according to the spirit, so also it is now. But what does the scripture say? Cast out the slave woman and her son, for the son of the slave woman shall not inherit with the son of the free woman. So, brothers, we are not children of the slave, but of the free woman. The word of God for his people. Let's pray. Father, as we uh, approach this text this morning, I pray that you would help us, that you would help me, help us to see clearly what your word is saying. I pray that we would have a right thinking about who you are and what you say about yourself and about your word and about us. Lord, I pray that the thoughts of my heart, the meditations of my heart, and the words of my mouth even as I preach, that they would be pleasing to you. And I pray that you would have your Holy Spirit to anoint my preaching and the reception of my preaching right now, Lord. I need your help. I can't do this on my own. And I pray that you would guide me and guide all of us as we encounter you and your son Jesus in his word this morning. We pray these things in his name. Amen. Amen. So let me tie this text that we just read back to what we've been studying beforehand. These, these last couple weeks, we've been looking at what it means to be born again. So I want to make kind of a homiletical connection to what we've been looking at. Well, by, by do, doing this, I want to work backwards. Typically, a pastor starts at the beginning of a, 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 a passage, and then they work towards the end of it. I'm going to do the opposite. I'm actually going to start at the end and work backwards. So Paul tells us in verse 31, he says this, So, brothers, we are not children of the slave, but of the free Woman. Now, what does he mean by that? Well, he's speaking to born-again believers, not just confessors of the faith. He makes this clear that we are not just mere confessors, that we're not just saying that we're Christians, we're not just confessing to be brothers, but we're actually born of the Spirit. And he says that those who are not born of the Spirit will not inherit the kingdom. I'm getting this from verse 30 where he says, But what does the Scripture say? Cast out the slave woman and her son, for the son of the slave woman shall not inherit with the son of the free woman. That sounds very much like you will not inherit the kingdom of God unless you're born again, right? What we've been talking about in John 3. Also notice verse 29 shows the clear teaching of regeneration, what it means to be born again, this teaching of regeneration in the Old Testament. What does it say? It says in verse 29, it says, but just as at that time, which is way back then in Abraham, Isaac, and all that time, just as at that time he who was born according to the flesh persecuted him who was born according to the spirit, so also it is now. So this teaching of regeneration, what it means to be born again, isn't something that's just a New Testament teaching. This goes all the way back to the beginning, and it's been so all through history. So if you thought that the Holy Spirit didn't show up till Pentecost, we're wrong in thinking that way. The, the Holy Spirit has been here all along working through the Spirit to bring people alive so that they might see the truth of God's Word and believe. Believers have always believed first by being born again, even in the Old Testament. Remember, even when Jesus is talking to Nicodemus, this is before Pentecost, isn't it? So he's telling Nicodemus, you're a teacher of the law and you don't understand these things? He's trying to get them to realize that being born again is a necessity and it's always been a necessity. Therefore, Pentecost isn't about a new way of salvation. 
It's about a new experience of salvation. When the Holy Spirit comes, we are going to experience him in a new way. And that's what Pentecost is about. So God's always saved people the same way. It's not different times and different places. He saves different people in different ways. He's always saved the same way. And that's by the new birth, by the Spirit. So this brings us to verse 28, where I'd like to pick up this morning. He's speaking to believers here. He says, brothers. That means that they are brothers and sisters in Christ. So don't just read it as brothers. He's talking to sisters too. He's talking to those who confess the faith and actually believe. Those who have been born again by the Spirit. That's why he says, so it is now as it's been then. I'm talking to people that are born of the Spirit, not born of the flesh. And he's saying that that's who you are. And if that's who you are, then he says, then you are children of promise. Verse 28. You are children of promise. So a child of promise is a Christian who's been born again into the kingdom of God. And on Mother's Day, and every day for that matter, we need to remember that for those who believe, our fundamental identity must remain as child of God, child of promise before anything else. Now I say this especially on Mother's Day because we can get very tied up in that word mother. And we can think that our whole identity is in being a mother. And this applies to everyone. It's fathers, sons, all, all, all kinds of people. But at the, our fundamental identity, you have to recognize that you are a child of God. You are a child of promise first and foremost. And if you get that wrong, then it skews everything else in the way that you live your life. Why is this important? Because if your identity rests in mother first then this is actually going to lead you towards dissatisfaction. How? Well, if your identity depends on all those adjectives before the word mom, think of working moms, stay-at-home mom, oh my goodness, stay-at-home mom. If you you add all these kind of adjectives, these modifiers, before the word mom, you're going to teach yourself to be deeply discontented because you're going to base your identity and how you see yourself on that. So working mom, you're going to feel exhausted because you can never work hard enough to make everyone content. right? You're just going to run yourself ragged because you're going to make that your standard and you're never going to hit it completely. You're always going to fall short. Stay at home mom, you're going to feel shattered when your children behave as if you've done nothing for them. You stay at home, you pour your life into them, you're, you're loving them with all your heart and then they act like little brats. And you think, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm failing again. I, I pour my life into this and here they're doing this. You're going to be dissatisfied in that. Perfectionist mom, right? You have this standard in your mind of what the perfect mom looks like, and you know very well that you are not that, right? You, I don't have to tell you that. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not judging you. I'm just saying you know that you never hit that standard. If, you, if you're that kind of perfectionist mom, you've got to watch yourself because that's going to only lead you to disappointment. First-time moms. You'll feel like a failure because you don't know anything about kids. You're going to read all the books and think, I understand children before you have kids. And then you have them and you're like, it's not like that at all. Right? So so we have to be careful. And even grandmothers, as you're getting, and some of you are are grandmothers now and great-grandmothers, you're in your later years, you're going to see all the ways that you could have been a better mom. You're going to look at your kids and you're going to see the ways that they raise their kids and you're going to say, well, that's wrong, but this is right. You're going to get some wisdom as you grow older and you're going to have probably regrets. And if we base our identity in all of these things, it's only going to leave us exhausted. It's only going to leave us tired. The thing that will bring back that youth, that energy that we need, that we could be a, a, better, a better person, that, that contentment that we need, all this is brought to a head when we see that the good news that we have is that we're a child, first and more, foremost. First and foremost. I can't talk this morning, church. But th- that's the reality. You're going to be tired. You're going to be exhausted until you realize first and foremost that I'm a child. 
that I'm just a kid before God. I'm a kid of the promise. I'm a child of the promised. And if we aren't careful on Mother's Day, Mother's Day can be, become the day where we start to preach the, the law of motherhood rather than the gospel of motherhood. There's a big difference, and that's what Paul is getting at in this text, helping you to understand the difference between living by the law and living by the gospel. The law says you're a good mom if, has all these ifs in front of it, if you never lose your cool with your kid, if you're the crunchy mom that lives by the homeopathic remedies, if you're a stay-at-home mom, if you have endless energy to exert towards your kids, if, 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 the list never ends, right? That's what the law says. The gospel says you're a good mom despite your inabilities, there are no ifs because the gospel informs who you are, not based on who you are, but based on someone else, someone who is perfect, someone who is righteous. So the gospel uh, speaks to us in this text, especially in verse 27, when it says, Rejoice, O barren one. Rejoice, O barren one, who does not bear. Break forth and cry aloud, you who are not in labor. For the children of the desolate one will be more than those of the one who has a husband. Now let's think about that. Let's bring this up to speed and in our own context, even on this Sunday, Mother's Day. Moms, do you ever feel barren even within your motherhood? Like you, you, you can't produce anything. You're not putting out anything. You have nothing. Do you ever feel like you're bearing no fruit? Even though you have kids, you just feel like it's not going well. Do you feel like you're not in labor for the next thing? Like you're not pregnant with any ideas, you're not moving forward, you're just kind of stuck and you can't get anywhere. Do you feel like the desolate woman, unable to live up to the weight of the world, just feeling like I have nothing to offer? What, what good am I? Right? Those are things that mothers feel, there's things that fathers feel too. We all feel these kind of things and that's why the gospel speaks to all of us this morning. And the good news of this passage is that by faith, through believing, God will work a miracle by the Spirit, not by our works, but by the Spirit, and He can and He will make you into the mother that you need to be, into the person that you need to meet. He will perform the work needed to make you righteous. That's what we are. We are His workmanship, and He works out His works through us. They are wrought in God, is what the King James says. They are brought out in Him. They are born again through Him. He works in us. And we, he works out our we work out our salvation because he works in us to do and to will for his good pleasure. God is at work in us by the Spirit, and we produce only through the Spirit. We can't do it in the flesh. Now, consider the, uh, the example. God promised Abraham, that's who we're talking about in this text, he promised Abraham that through his seed all the nations would be blessed before he had any children. Now think about receiving a promise like that. You can't have any kids, you're in your old age, and someone tells you that all the nations of the world will be blessed in you because of your children, right? Some of you in your older age can think, uh, yeah, that's not going to happen, right? If someone told you that, you would say, that's impossible, that can't happen, I'm barren, like I haven't had kids, I'm through menopause, it's not happening, right? So this is the kind of thing that, that Abraham would have been thinking, but he believed God, do you remember the text, and it was counted to him as righteousness. The King James says it was imputed to him as righteousness, so God counted him as righteous because of his faith, not because of his works. It was not based upon works. And it was his belief that made him accepted before God, not his performance. And so it is with all of us. Everyone in this room will be accepted by God, not on the basis of your works. And if they are, except if you are uh, standing before God on the basis of your works, that is the worst news that you can hear this morning. You will not be accepted because of your works. And if you think that you can approach God like that, you're going <laughs> to... The, the truth is, is you're going to hell. It's, it's a stern and a hard saying, but that's the fact of the matter. That's why the gospel is so sweet. 
Because you don't have to stand before God and you don't have to live in that process of trying to live by your works. You can live by grace under Christ. And this is the point of Paul's, uh, or this is Paul's whole point in this passage. Paul wants you to get this. He, he sees that there's Christians slipping back into living by the law even after they have understood grace. So if we take our justification into our own hands, like Abraham actually did start to do with Hagar, then those works and their fruits will be cast out. That's what it says, cast out the slave woman and her sons. So this way of living and the fruits of that living, they're going to be cast out. You won't be accepted. So Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness, but he fell back into slavery. He slipped back. How? Well, he started thinking with the logic of the world. He thought, well, this doesn't make sense. I've been promised something and it's not going to come about. Sarah's barren and for her to have children is impossible. Therefore... This is, this is the logic of the world. This is the logic of the law. Therefore, I should get to work and make God's promise happen through Hagar. right? Take on the concubine. Make it happen in that kind of way instead. Now, that was Abraham's downfall. That caused him all kinds of grief. It causes us grief even today because of the results of that concubine and that, that marriage and those children. So that was his downfall, and it will be yours too if you try to take God's promises into your own hands and fulfill them for God. You have to live by faith. Not by sight. And here again we see the gospel logic is that God commands a promise of impossible things, but then he works miraculously by the Spirit to bring those things about. He gives us the new life that we need to then perform those things that God is working in us. So back to the identity issue. It's not until you see yourself as a child of promise that you can see who your mother is. Think about that. If the baby bird had known that it was a bird, it wouldn't have looked at the cow or the dog, or wherever. It would have known that it's a bird, and only its mother bird would match to it. If you know that you are a child of promise, you won't look to the law to nourish you. You're going to look to the promise, to the gospel, right? So we have to realize that we're children of the promise, of the covenant. We're of the covenant people of God to know how to move forward. Otherwise, we're going to slip back like Abraham did with Hagar. So if Hagar represents the law, and the law is on our mother, then is Sarah. Is Sarah our mother? Is that what this text is saying? Well, the answer may surprise you, but no. Sarah actually isn't our mother. If you look at the text, read with me in verse 24 through 26. It says, now this may be interpreted allegorically. And just as a side note, here's the, the biblical um, the biblical okay to read scripture at times allegorically. Some people have said, we don't ever read the Bible allegorically. That's that's wrong. Well, here Paul is saying that you can actually do that, and it's the right way to do it. So, verse 24, this may be interpreted allegorically. These two women are two covenants. One is from Mount Sinai, bearing children for slavery. She's Hagar. Now, Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia. She corresponds to the present Jerusalem, for she is in slavery with her children. But... The Jerusalem above is free, and she is our mother. Where did it talk about Sarah there? It didn't. It says Jerusalem above is our mother. We think that it it might be talking about it. It seems like it could be implying when it says free woman, but it never mentions Sarah's name. It doesn't give Sarah the credit at all. Now, why did it give Sarah the credit? Because Sarah didn't deserve the credit. It wasn't Sarah that was bringing about this. It was God's promise that was bringing this about. It was God's promise that he would do something amazing through Abraham. So Sarah really isn't the, the mother, right? Just like you aren't the mother. You aren't the point either, 
right? If we try to take credit for our own works and living and, and, and going through life, then we are going to be like Hagar, right? That's, that's taking credit. So we don't want the credit. We actually want to pass it on and say, no, we are not the point. So why didn't he credit Sarah? Like I said, it's, it's the same reason that we don't credit your godly motherhood with yourself. You don't say, I'm a great mom. I, I've got this all together. Your works aren't yours. They've been carried out in God. And if they, if you took credit for them, then you would be cast out like Sarah. So you and your works must be carried out in grace, not law, or else you'll be spinning your wheels in exhaustion. You get that? Okay, so who is our mother? If Sarah's not our mother and Hagar's not our mother, then who is our mother? Well, it says here in the text that it's Jerusalem above. What is Jerusalem above? What does that mean? Well, Paul says, first and foremost, if we know nothing else about the Jerusalem above, we know that it is our mother. That's, that's what Paul is saying here. Now, what he's referring to is actually the church, that assembly of the firstborn. He's talking about the covenant people of God, those who call themselves part of the promised people of God. That's, that's us, church. That's, we are the people of God. God has claimed us. And Paul even says later in Galatians that we are the Israel of God. Right? We are part of Jerusalem above. So he says that these two women may be interpreted as two covenants. In other words, there's two types of people. Hagar represents the covenant of works by the law. And this free woman represents the covenant of grace by Christ. Right? Nothing new. This has been the, the pattern all along through Scripture. And the, the covenant is the, the visible and the invisible people of God, those who have been born again, those who actually trust in Christ and follow his promises. That's who the covenant continues on through. That's why it's so important to catch this necessity of the new birth. That's why Jesus tells Nicodemus, you're a teacher of the law and you don't get this? This is really fundamental. If you're going to continue on, you're going to be a continuation of the, the gospel promise, you must get this. And this, as a side note, is a reason why church membership is so important. Membership in the church is a covenant. Have you thought about that before? Membership and joining a church isn't just an affiliation saying, yeah, I'm more dedicated than some other members. It's actually part of a covenant membership being tied to the body of Christ. To where you have obligations to, to love your brothers and sisters and you have elders over you caring and shepherding for you. It's a real commitment being tied to the body of Christ, to the covenant people of God. So when we join the church, we're really allowing the loving arms of our mother to wrap around us. Saying, I accept this. It's, it's kind of like a hug. And you can kind of push the idea away and say, no, I don't want that. But that's really what it means to become a member of a church. And that's why I, I press it that it's, kind of, it's very important. It's not kind of important. It's important to allow us to submit ourselves to the loving care of the church. Now, to some of you, this might actually rub you the wrong way. Right? You've had bad experiences with churches. You've got burned, and you think, why would I submit myself to that? I've seen awful things in the church, and it's the same with Mother's Day. Many people uh, herald how great motherhood, and there's people in the room many times that say, I had an awful mother. I don't know what you're talking about. Right? So I get that there's people in the room that motherhood, and especially the idea of the church as our mother, might rub us the wrong way. And to that, I, I just want to say, I'm sorry. The, the church shouldn't act that way. If you've had a mother that hasn't treated you in love then I'm sorry. And I really do grieve that. And the reality is, is that God is working on that. It is an issue. God is working on that. He's going to purify his bride. He's going to purify the church and rid of all those things. And he's actually at work uh, on that now as we speak. He's sanctifying the bride. It says in Ephesians 5 that Christ is sanctifying her, this is referring to the church, cleansing her by the washing of water with the word. 
so that he might present her to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. Now many of you say, well, I don't even think the church is close to that. And you're, you're right. He's working on it, but it's a process. And we need to still respect that God is at work on it and respect that that is Christ's bride that you're talking about. When we're feeling disgruntled about the things that the church has done, you also you got to realize you're talking about Christ's bride, his wife. And if you have a problem with Christ's wife, then you have a problem with Christ, right? Now, this is the way that my seminary professor, I, I took a class called Ministry in the Church, and he said that this is the way that we need to think about the church. The church is a whore, but she's my mother. Now, we, we can kind of think about that. The, the church is a whore. All through Scripture, you've seen this. Israel is whoring after other gods. They're whoring after idols. She's acting awful, but we still respect her because they are the covenant people of God. And God has made a promise, and he is loyal to her. He is loyal to his church. So we need to take the idea of the church as our mother as a serious thing. This is something that we have lost greatly in our context. As evangelicals, we have very, very little regard and trust and care for the church of God. We, we care for community, but we don't really think about the big C church, right? This body of Christ. We've really uh, lost respect for it. And this is, hasn't always been the case. If you go back to the early church, you hear the church fathers, such as Cyprian of Carthage, uh, saying things like this. And this is in the third century. He said, you cannot have God as your father unless you have the church for your mother. That's a bold statement. And you might say, well, they were just Catholic back then. That's, that's Roman Catholic, uh, Catholic thought. We don't think like that anymore. The, the Protestants have moved on beyond that. Not so. Some of our magisterial reformers, John Calvin himself, one of the greatest reformers, said this. He said, there is no other way to enter into life unless this mother conceive us in her womb, give us birth, and nourish us at her breast. Away from her bosom, one cannot hope for any forgiveness of sins or any salvation. That's a bold statement. You might say, well, Calvin just goes too far uh, to say that apart from the church, there's no salvation. But what does it say in the, in the text, in verse 30? That you won't inherit the promise. You won't inherit the kingdom if you are living by the old way. If you are living by the law and you're li not living by the promise. If you are not a child of promise, considering yourself the, with the church as your mother... Right? recognizing Jerusalem above is our mother, then you're going to be cast out. You're not going to inherit the promises. You must accept all of the church for what it is. Jerusalem above is our mother, Paul says. So salvation happens in the community of believers by the conception of the Holy Spirit. And we as individual members constitute the church, the heavenly Jerusalem. If one is to hear the word of truth, think about this. If someone's going to hear it, and an unbeliever comes in the church, if someone's to hear the word of truth, which becomes the seed to be born again, it will happen from the mouth of those who preach the gospel and the beautiful feet that carry it to them. All right, that's what Paul says in Romans 10. How are they going to hear unless we preach it? How are they going to know? Well, it's our job to gather and assemble. That's why it's so important to come to gather as the body of Christ, to be able to conceive such a thing. This is the natural pattern for someone to be born again. He or she enters the community of believers, the church, even though they're not born again. Think about the unbeliever that comes and sits down in our pews. But after coming into the womb of the church, they hear the preaching of the word, and the Spirit attends the preaching of the word and becomes that seminal force that conceives the new birth. That's the natural way that it happens. They come in here and they're conceived by the Holy Spirit. They're born again. They trust in Jesus and they believe and they walk out of here born again believers. They're changed. 
It's amazing what God does in his church. Despite all our frailties, despite our weaknesses, through the foolishness of preaching, God does that. This is why Hebrews exhorts us not to forsake the assembling of the believers as some have made a habit of doing. We think we don't need the church. We can do this on our own. We, we read our Bibles by ourselves at home. We watch our, our TV preachers and we think we're fine. How is that actually being faithful to God's word, recognizing the church is our mother? What, what, what kind of son never visits his mother? What kind of son or daughter never comes and uh, has communion with the one that he loves? So we need our mother, the church. We, we really do need it. In the womb of the church, we're protected, we're fed, we're nourished. Think about it. We're protected from false doctrine that could make us spiritually sick. You see sick Christians around you, doctrinally. They're all over the place, right? Are we, are we being fed? The word of God, as Peter says, he says it this way, like newborn infants, children of promise, like newborn infants, we should long for the pure spiritual milk, catch this, that by it you may grow up into salvation. So even Peter affirms this. If you want salvation, you're going to find it in the church. The church is where it's at. Are you being nurtured through gospel-centered community and the fellowship of believers where you're being encouraged, where you have elders coming around saying, hey, how are you doing? Are you doing all right? Are you being fed? Is God at work in your life? How is the Spirit leading you and propelling you to live the life that you need to live as a mother, as a father, as a son, as an employee? Are you getting that kind of care from the church, your mother? So church, the church is our mother. We should respect her cherish her for what she is and what she has to actually offer. The community of believers is the nest, if you want to think about that, that bird image, the community of believers is the nest of refuge that wandering and confused believers need to grow, grow up into a healthy Christianity. If you're going to be able to fly out in and out of the nest, you've got to come to the nest. You've got to let the mother nourish you and come each and every week. Now, think about this. Every Father's Day, we preach about the fatherhood of God, and we point the fatherless to the heavenly father. Why aren't we doing the same thing with our Heavenly Mother? Why do we point them to our Heavenly Father each and every uh, Father's Day, but every Mother's Day we skip the fact that we have a Heavenly Mother, the Heavenly Jerusalem. She is our Mother, Paul says in Galatians. Why do we forget that? Why, why aren't we doing the same thing with our Heavenly Mother? Why do we send those who need spiritually nurtured back to their mothers according to the flesh? Think about that. Many times, sermons become, moms, you're awesome, and you're so awesome, and you walk out of here, and as soon as you get out the door, you slip up and you realize, I don't think I am awesome. Right? And if the good news becomes you're an awesome mom, then you're going to leave here exhausted. So I want you to leave here knowing today that there's good news, that it's not all about you living a perfect life, that we have a, a body of believers that we can come to to remind us each and every week that none of us have it together. We're all needing nourished. We're all needing to come to God as children. We are all on the same level playing field. I am a child of promise. You are a child of promise. And we need to recognize this so that we're not falling back into living by the law, living by the Hagar way and the slavery way, that, that yoke of slavery. We need to live by grace. That's what you mothers need to hear today. You need to hear the gospel. I'm not, I'm not going to preach the law to you and say you just need to be awesome and that's the good news because it's not. So church, seeing yourself as a child of promises keeps you from falling back into slavery into the law and keeps you living free under Christ. You need to live as free mothers. Living under the law is essentially an identity crisis. Until you know who you are, you will not know how to move forward. You're going to spin your wheels. Many, after coming to Christ, live as under the law, following rigid patterns of following and living uh, for their justification for God. We need to live from our justification, not for our justification. 
Get that order right. It's very, very important. You work from being a child of promise, not for it. They go from person to person looking for approval, looking for some someone to affirm them. And they're essentially saying, just like that baby bird, are you my mother? World, are you my mother? Culture, are you my mother? Will you love me? Will you, ex- will you accept me? Will you care for me? Will you nourish me? Will you nurture me? And the answer is almost always no. And if, if they do, it's a very imperfect yes. We need to go to a place like the church that offers such things. The church is our mother. So God's word speaks to all of us here, but it speaks loudly to mothers. While mothers may not feel that they're slipping back into following certain Old Testament laws like circumcision, you guys were always ex- exempt from that anyway, but you may not feel like you're slipping back into doing breaking of the law and living by the law, but there's a reality that if we put these adjectives in front of motherhood and start to live by that pattern of living, that is really putting a yoke on you that you don't need to live by. You need to live by grace. And you need to throw out that way of living that lives by the law. So just as a child does not know who they are until their mother or father tells them, we need God the Father and the church our mother to parent us. We need to mature. We need to grow up into salvation, to long for that pure spiritual milk and have a father, that, uh, father God that says, do this. This is the way to live. And a church that wraps their arms around you in grace and says, I'm going to help you do this. I'm going to be there to love you through this. I'm going to nurture you. I'm going to help protect uh, from the forces of the outside to, to bring you into this womb to care for you as you're growing up into salvation. We need that kind of, kind of community, church. Village, I want to be a, a church that says we love Mother Church. We love what she offers to us. And we want other people to come and feel that kind of love too. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, we are so thankful that you've given us fathers and mothers in the faith that you've gifted us, the church, with a mother. We thank you that we are uh, not as orphans, that we have a father that loves and cares for us, that we've been adopted into a, a beautiful, beautiful family. Lord, we pray.